Well, good evening to you all again. Uh, it's great to see you all here tonight. Um, just want to thank you as well for your attention this morning. That might seem a strange thing to say to a church, but uh, you can sense when you go around seeing various churches, you can sense those people who are truly interested in what the Bible has to say and those who are not truly interested in what the Bible has to say. And this is clearly a church who is interested in what the Bible has to say. And uh, that's really where the church is built from. That's how the church is going to mature and prosper in days to come, from those who, who take God's Word seriously. It is not an easy book to get into, um, but it's a book that demands serious searching out. And in a day and age where we have more Bible study aids than ever before, we also have less Christians who are reading the Bible every day. And if I could encourage you for nothing else tonight, let me encourage you to be reading the Bible every day. 20 minutes in the morning, the start of your day, pray to God, read a passage from Scripture, ask God to help you understand it, and note down some of the things that God is challenging you with, and then pray to Him as you go into your day. I tell you that, what we call quiet time, is the area on which our lives are built. So uh, don't neglect that, and uh, it's lovely to see you're listening to the Scriptures tonight. Let's just uh, pray and ask God's help to understand tonight this quite obscure and difficult passage, but I pray it'll have a real challenge for our hearts. Father in heaven, I do thank you for this opportunity to preach your word tonight. And Father, you know that I'm preaching a word tonight that, that I struggle to live out in my own life. But I do pray, Father, that, that you would help each of us to hear a challenge from your spirit tonight as if we were right alongside Moses as he gets this call to leave Midian and come to Egypt with his family and all that that would entail for his life, both of joys and of troubles. Father, help us to see ourselves in this Bible text. And as you challenge us, let us not run away from that challenge, but to go out of here as renewed people who want to serve the purposes of God in our generation. Help us tonight, we pray. Give us courage tonight, we pray, to put your word into practice, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Please do have your Bibles open at Exodus chapter 4, this unusual passage at the end of Exodus 4. The city of London, as we know, has been on high alert since those dreadful bombings just ten days ago. And we are experiencing as a culture something of what New York experienced following September the 11th. I read an amazing story this week about one alert that happened just a few months after 9-11. It was May the 5th, 2002. And a train conductor discovered something frightening on the train tracks near Philadelphia in the States. It was an electronic transmitter planted alongside the tracks. And as you could imagine, the FBI were, were swarming all around the scene within a few hours. And investigators discovered a mysterious gadget that, that was in fact a motion detector. And this motion detector was designed to send a signal to a nearby receiver. So as you could imagine, the tension just escalated. Until finally, a train mechanic stepped forward and he admitted that he had installed the transmitter. It turns out that the mechanic was used to working during the night shift. 
And he had installed this motion detector to sound an alarm in his working area whenever his boss was approaching. That way, he could safely take a nap during his shift. And if the alarm went off, he could get up and look busy for when his boss just came around the corner. I mean, it's just amazing what some people will do to get out of work, isn't it? But sometimes I feel that we live our Christian lives that way. We know, don't we, that the Master is going to come back someday. Maybe tonight. But while we wait, we just want to take a snooze on the night shift. We would prefer to sit back and relax a while during the night shift. And folks, I want to challenge you tonight. If you are asleep in your Christian life, or whatever stage you're at in your Christian life, if you are asleep tonight during the night shift, God wants to give you a wake-up call tonight. In Exodus chapter 3, at the burning bush, Moses receives the call of God on his life uncompromisingly. It's a wake-up call that turns his whole life upside down. At the end of chapter 4, we can see how much his life is turned upside down. And I want to suggest to you tonight that God wants to turn your life upside down in the same way that he did with Moses. Whether that's a message that you would like to hear or not. There are four things that happen in this passage to Moses after he hears God's call on his life. And these same four things will happen to you if you want to take God seriously in your life. Life is never the same for people who obey God's call. This passage teaches us firstly that if you obey God's call, you'll become God's pilgrim. You'll become God's pilgrim. When Moses met with God at the burning bush, his life changed in an instant. Let's remember that Moses is 80 years old in this passage. He is an aging man. He has spent the last 40 years of his life living in Midian, tending sheep. And his simple desert life is quiet and straightforward. His family are all around him. He lives under the protection of his father-in-law Jethro. His finances are secure. Midian, I'm sure, would be a good place to live out his days and, and retire in obscurity and comfort. But folks, living quiet, peaceful lives out of harm's way with a good pension scheme and a quiet family life, that is not what we were made for as Christians. When we listen to God's call on our lives, He sets our desires for comfort on fire. God called Moses here quite deliberately out of his comfort zone to go back to the hornet's nest that is Egypt. In verse 18, Moses realizes that obeying God's call means moving out from behind the protection of his father-in-law Jethro. He says to Jethro, let me go back to my own people in Egypt and all that that meant. After 40 quiet years of shepherding sheep, Moses' heart begins to burn again for God's people. And God is raising the bar here on Moses' whole life and calling him to shepherd an entire nation now and lead them out of slavery. And notice that God's call not only affects Moses' own protection and security, his family will be deeply affected as well. Verse 20 we read, Moses took his wife and his sons and put them on a donkey and started them back to Egypt. I wonder how they felt. See, folks, many Christians often stop responding to God's call on their lives in midlife because their family needs stability and security. That's the excuse that's made. 
But that's not Moses' attitude in this passage. Here is a man who obeys God and takes his family back with him, right into the snare of Egypt. I wonder sometimes how Moses explained to his wife that they were going back. I mean, it was hardly a sane move in human terms, was it? Moses was a fugitive from Egypt, you remember. He was known as a murderer. His wanted poster was all over Cairo. You can imagine Zipporah, his wife, saying to him, Hang on a minute, Moses. What about me? What about the children? You need your head examined. And even God knows what a fearful prospect it is for Moses to return to the dangers of Egypt. Verse 19, God has to reassure Moses. He says, all the men who wanted you back in Egypt are dead. While most men are having midlife crises, Moses is having a midlife revival. He's becoming a radical disciple, leaving Midian's comfort to pursue God's will in the fires of Egypt, 80 years old. But folks, that's what it means to obey God's call. And we're left with a powerful image at the end of verse 20 of Moses returning to Egypt with the staff of God in his hands. Moses has has stopped being the reckless youth who felt he could change the world by murdering an Egyptian. Moses has given up on on the safety first temptation of, of middle age, quiet life in Midian. And he has now become God's pilgrim. His whole life is now dictated by the call of God. There's no time to settle down. He's making a conscious decision to put comfort secondary and to put God's call primary in his life. Like his ancestor Abraham, Moses was looking for a city whose builder and maker is God's. His 80-year-old eyes are not dim. He's just discovered that life is only truly lived when we fully surrender to God's call on our lives. My brother, my sister, let me ask you, is your life characterized tonight by peace and security? I mean, if God seriously called you to set aside your company car and your pension scheme and to take your family into dangerous territory for the sake of the gospel, would you do it? Or could it be that your life is so set, your prospects are so fixed in your own mind that you've stopped listening to God's voice a long time ago? That can happen even for regular church attenders. You've stopped hearing the challenges He places on your life. It can happen to any of us. We just become stale in our walk with God. The American evangelist Wilbur Chapman spoke about spiritual stagnation. He said this, he said, It's not the ship in the water, but the water in the ship that sinks it. In the same way, it's not the Christian in the world, but the world in the Christian that constitutes the danger. My friend, if there was a picture to describe your life, would it be a pilgrim leading his whole family by faith with the staff of God in his hands? Or would it be a holiday maker sitting on a recliner under a sun umbrella watching your children make sandcastles and saying to your wife how proud you are of them? Jim Elliot famously said, He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. If we are listening to God's call in our lives, He will be uncomfortable to live with. When was the last time that God was uncomfortable for you to live with? God constantly challenges us to set aside our stale lives and become pilgrims on a mission. 
I wonder, is God calling you to a more demanding leadership role in this church to step up to the plate? Is God calling you to be a more proactive evangelist at college or at work to name the name of Jesus from your lips? Is God calling you to give financially to His work until it affects your very standard of living? Is God calling you to the foreign mission field somewhere? Do you have on a diary somewhere at home the day and the date and the time when God told you specifically you are not to go on the mission field? Is He calling you to lead a one-to-one Bible study with someone who scares you to death? Is He calling you to do prison work, to plant a church? Folks, that's the way God works. He beckons us out of a life of peace and safety and He calls us to be pilgrims. Pilgrims who cast ourselves entirely on Him for His grace. People of God, may we give up on our dreams of peace and safety. May we pick up the staff of God in our hands and listen to His voice once again and set off on a life of pilgrimage, marching to the beat of God's drum. If you obey God's call, you will become God's pilgrim. Secondly, the passage teaches us if you obey God's call, you will confront God's enemies. That's a certainty. God's call to Moses here is a frightening one. He is asking Moses, literally, to stand in front of the world's most powerful man and demand that Pharaoh sets free the Hebrew slaves who are keeping the Egyptian economy buoyant. God is leading Moses into direct confrontation with the head of a superpower here, like walking into the White House. Everything about God's call is confrontational. Look at verse 21. God says to Moses, When you return to Egypt, see that you perform before Pharaoh all the signs and wonders I have given you power to do, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. What a call. I mean, it's quite clear that Pharaoh isn't just going to roll over at the first sign of God's power. In fact, we know from the story, don't we, the more God displays his power in Egypt, the more Pharaoh will dig his heels in. Pharaoh was a god to his people, and he will not surrender to some foreign god as he sees it. God will harden Pharaoh's heart. These confrontations, in fact, between Moses and Pharaoh are really confrontations between God and Pharaoh. The battle, if you'll notice in the passage, will be over God's firstborn and Pharaoh's firstborn. Notice this in verse 22. This is what the Lord says. Israel is my firstborn son, and I told you, let my son go so that he may worship me. But you refuse to let him go, so I will kill your firstborn son. God views his people as his firstborn This isn't so much about physical birth. The firstborn was someone of preeminent importance. In the New Testament, Jesus Christ is called the firstborn from among the dead. That means He is of of first importance of all those who will rise from the dead because He has conquered death for all men. And in the same way, you and I as God's people are God's firstborn. We are supremely important to Him among all the peoples of the world. And God will wrestle Pharaoh to the ground for his firstborn. He will bring miraculous plagues on Egypt for his firstborn. He will open the waters of the sea to rescue his firstborn. And ultimately, he will send his own son to a cross to rescue his firstborn. Folks, you and I as God's people tonight are infinitely precious to him. And that's why God enters into this confrontation with Pharaoh who is holding his firstborn captive. But here's the point. 
Moses, as God's ambassador, is stuck in the middle of this war between God and Pharaoh. You see, folks, when you obey God's call on your life, you become embroiled in this age-old struggle between God and Satan, between the powers of hell and the kingdom of God. You can't obey God in your life without, without feeling some of the sting of that conflict in your daily life. We know that Moses will go through the mill as he presents the claims of God in the heart of Satan's territory. But obeying God's call means confronting God's enemies. I wonder if you've mentioned the name of Jesus to an antagonistic non-Christian at work and felt some of the backlash. This is the battle you have joined, folks. Have you stood up for God's values in a very godless classroom and felt ostracized as a result? Obeying God's call brings confrontation. It can be no other way. In fact, it's often the case that that God-honoring churches often face opposition from civic authorities or local communities because they are obeying God. Satan doesn't like his territory being disturbed. And if we are faithful to God's call, we will join a battle between God and Satan that began way back when the serpent first tempted Eve in the Garden of Eden. A battle that is centered around a cross where that serpent bruised Jesus' heel and Jesus crushed the serpent's head in fulfillment of prophecy. Folks, this is war and we're part of it whether we want it or not. So my brother and my sister, don't be discouraged tonight if you are facing opposition for your commitment to Jesus Christ. It is a sign that you are obeying and you're making ripples in Satan's kingdom. It's a sign that you've joined the battle. As Isaac Watts puts it in his uncompromising hymn, why do we not write uncompromising hymns today? He wrote, Must I be carried to the skies on flowery beds of ease while others fought to win the prize and sailed on bloody seas? Brothers and sisters, we have been called into heavenly conflict and our obedience to God's call arouses the opposition of Satan. Our worship and our witness and our holiness and our love, these are weapons. Weapons that stir the forces of good and evil in the heavenly realms, if we could only see it tonight. So don't expect to pass through your Christian life without feeling some of the sting of the battle. Even Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4, here is how he described his life, we are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed and broken. We are perplexed, but we do not give up and quit. We are hunted down, but God never abandons us. We get knocked down, but we get up again. We live under constant danger of death because we serve Jesus. People of God, be prepared for a fight as you obey God's call on your life. Join in the conflict that has been raging since the dawn of time because your simple obedience has more impact in the heavenly realms than you could possibly imagine. The actor John Wayne once said, great line this, he said, courage is being scared to death and saddling up anyway. Isn't that great? Obedient Christian living demands confrontation, so don't shy away from the struggle in your life tonight. Put on the helmet that is your salvation. Pick up the Word of God, which is the sword of the Spirit. Put on the armor that is holy living. And have your feet ready to share the gospel of peace at a moment's notice. And back up your spiritual armor with passionate prayer for all God's saints. 
This is war. We are soldiers and our king carries a cross. If you obey God's call on your life, you'll become God's pilgrim and you'll confront God's enemies. And thirdly, you'll face God's scrutiny. His scrutiny. Verses 24 to 26 of this passage are are some of the most shocking verses in the Bible. I mean, think about this for a minute. God has called Moses at the burning bush. And he has gone to great lengths now to convince Moses of his power. He has gone into great detail about Moses' mission to Pharaoh. But now as Moses is making his way to Egypt, verse 24 says this. It says, The Lord met Moses at his lodging place and was about to kill him. You kind of stop for a minute. What? Was about to kill him. I mean, what was the problem here? Was God really about to kill the man he had chosen to lead his people out of slavery? Well, that's what the passage seems to be saying. Whatever the issue is here, it must be a very serious one, mustn't it? For the whole Exodus venture to be put at risk. And for God to, uh, to potentially do away with the man whose life he had guarded and protected for over 80 years, right back to the time where his parents put him in a basket in a river. And I think the Bible is deliberately shocking here because God wants to get our attention about something very important. Moses was being disobedient in an area that mattered a great deal to God. We need to kind of read between the lines here of of Zipporah's bizarre response in verse 25. It says, Zipporah took a flint knife and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it. Probably not a memory verse you're likely to learn. But somehow, the only way to appease God's anger here was for Moses' son to be circumcised. God was angry with Moses because Moses hadn't circumcised his son. Now we kind of think, well, what's the big deal of all that? Well, God had already told Abraham back in Genesis 17 that every Hebrew boy needed to be circumcised. All the Jews were aware of this. And to be circumcised was a sign that you were part of a sacred covenant with God. It was an outward symbol of being one of God's chosen people. Circumcision was no empty symbol. It was the distinguishing mark of the covenant relationship between God and his people. But Moses seems to have taken this lightly for his own sons. Moses' son would have been brought up in Midian, where they didn't circumcise their children as they did back in Egypt. And it seems that Moses had been so affected by the surrounding culture in Midian that he just got casual about circumcision, which was clearly commanded by God. And here's the point. There was a clash between Moses' private obedience to God's commands and his public calling. Yes, Moses was God's chosen leader. Yes, he had been set aside from birth to be God's deliverer. But God is so serious about Moses' private holiness here that he is willing to kill his chosen saviour before he ever gets to Egypt just because he hasn't circumcised his son. Of course, no one else would know that Moses' son wasn't circumcised. I'm sure it wouldn't have made much of a difference to Moses' preaching. But folks, God will not use us in His public service if our private lives don't back up our public calling. 
It's a frightening thought, but how many well-known and influential pastors have had very public falls from grace? I'm well aware of that. God will not allow even His most effective servants to continue if they are disobedient in private matters. And friends, let's all hear this warning tonight. If your life is a sham... If you are sitting here tonight as an outwardly respectable man or woman of God, but deep down you know you're living a double life and you'll go back home to live a double life tonight, my friend, get right with God before it's too late. God's burning eyes open the curtains on our private life. There's no such thing as a private life for a Christian. And if God was prepared to deal so drastically with Moses, don't think He'll allow you or me to lead a double life. Folks, it is so easy to convince ourselves that that private holiness is a small thing, particularly when God is blessing our lives publicly. I mean, Moses is clearly a man of faith here. He was prepared to leave Midian and return to Egypt. But God still called him to account for his careless attitude to circumcision. And friends, those who are called to the highest service for God are those who are placed under the strictest scrutiny by God. If you obey God's call, you'll be under higher scrutiny from God. Because the Lord of burning holiness will not tolerate repeated, unrepented sin in the lives of His servants. My brother, my sister, don't allow private sin to destroy your public ministry. If you obey God's call tonight, you'll become God's pilgrim and you'll confront God's enemies and you'll face God's scrutiny. And finally, if you obey God's call, you will taste God's glory. You'll taste His glory. There's a beautiful finale to this passage if we read it carefully. Moses gets a taste of God's power at work as he comes back to Egypt. Verse 27 we read, God has already spoken to Aaron and tells him to go and meet with Moses in the desert. And what an encouragement it must have been to Moses to see his brother come to meet him in the desert. It's a sign for Moses that that his call from God is not a lonely one. God has been calling Aaron as well. Something's beginning to happen here. Moses begins to see God's power at work in front of his eyes. In verse 29, Aaron and Moses call all the people of Israel together. Now you can kind of imagine this would have been a tense gathering. I mean, how are the people of Israel going to welcome Moses the murderer back after 40 years in exile? You could imagine Moses' nervousness here. Who does this Moses think he is? Coming back after 40 years as a fugitive and and claiming to be our rescuer. But you'll notice that Moses is not the focus of the people's attention here. It was God's power that stirred them. We read that Aaron performs all the miraculous signs in front of them that God had commanded, and we are told the people believed. That's a very big word in this passage. They believed. The people believed the incredible story that the God of their fathers, who had been silent during hundreds of years of slavery, that this God had sent Moses at the burning bush. They saw God's power for themselves. God had seen their misery as a people. He had heard their cries for deliverance. For the first time in 400 years, faith and hope filled the air in the camp of Israel. God was alive. His power was real. He cared for His people. 
He had sent a Savior to rescue them from Pharaoh. At the end of verse 31, we read this beautiful line, they bowed down and worshipped. You see, folks, because Moses obeys God's call, because he takes his life in his hands and leaves Midian in all that comfort with his wife and his children and comes back to Egypt where he is a wanted man, because Moses responds to God's call, he sees God's power at work. And the nation that had been crippled by slavery for generations begins to worship again. And brothers and sisters, this is a life-transforming truth for all of us if we grasp it tonight. If you are prepared to lay your life on the line and obey God's call to your life in 2005, you will truly taste God's power. For brothers and sisters, the amount of glory that we taste in our lives is proportionate to our willingness to give our all to God. Most Christians in Britain today will never see God's power, not really, because they love the world too much. Christians whose lives revolve around salaries and weekends away and ideal homes and satellite television, those Christians never get excited about God's power because God won't trust them with it. God reveals His glory to pilgrims, to those who are prepared to respond to God's call with radical obedience and take Satan's territory by storm. It's those who are prepared to lose their lives for the sake of Christ. They are the ones who will see the rivers open. They will see the lions shut their mouths and the flames quenched and the dead come back to life. My brother, my sister, what will it be for you tonight Are you prepared to hear God's call on your life and become a pilgrim who joins the battle of the heavenly realms and sees God's power at work? Or does everything within your being tonight cry, safety, safety? How on earth are we ever going to be safe? Karen Watson was a Baptist missionary in the Middle East. And she wrote a letter back to her pastors in Texas on March the 7th, 2003. It was a very poignant letter because she was killed eight days later along with four other missionaries. And the letter that she wrote back said these words. It said, quote, You should only be opening this letter in the event of my death. When God calls, there are no regrets. I wasn't called to a place. I was called to Him. To obey was my objective. To suffer was expected. His glory, my reward. His glory, my reward. At the end of the letter, she wrote this poem, which were her last recorded words. Care more than some think is wise. Risk more than some think is safe. Dream more than some think is practical. Expect more than some think is possible. I was called not to comfort or to success, but to obedience. There is no joy outside of knowing Jesus and serving Him. Shalom.
Karen. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. God is calling us to be pilgrims tonight. Let's take the staff of God in our hands and set our own dreams aside to pursue one dream and one goal, the kingdom of God in our generation. Let's be all out for Jesus Christ who was nailed to a cross for us.